Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of the Potter's House in Virginia Beach. church with a worldwide vision for winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. We're a Pentecostal church affiliated with the Christian Fellowship Ministries. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. The Lord. Thank you. Praise God. Thank you. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Pastor Campbell, for those kind words, and I want to say how appreciative I am for every pastor that's here and brought their men, and for every man that's here. Nothing on earth compares to having an auditorium full of testosterone. Amen. (laughs) Amen. Praise God. I don't hate women. My mother was a woman. But I want to tell you that the kingdom of God desperately needs men that will be men. Can you say amen? Amen. Wonderful sight tonight to see this building filled with men that want to hear from God. I want to preach to you tonight from the book of Philemon. If you have your Bibles, I trust you do. If you'll turn with me to the book of Philemon. Philemon is just before Hebrews. And I want to minister to you for a few minutes from this short epistle from the Apostle Paul about one of the glorious factors of the kingdom of God. And that is the, the, uh, the factor and the truth that God has the ability to take people who have failed and make them productive and cause them to fulfill their destiny in the Lord Jesus Christ. Here in this epistle is the story of a man whose name is Anisiphorus. He apparently uh, stole from his master. He was a slave in Colossae of a man named uh, Philemon. And as he stole this and uh, ripped off valuables, apparently he... uh, Betrayed his master, he wound up from Colossae, which is there in Turkey, and he wound up in Rome. And in Rome, the Apostle Paul brought him to an experience with Jesus Christ. Here in this epistle, Paul is sending this man back to his master Philemon. And as he's sending him back, it gives to you and I a tremendous revelation of the grace of God, and I want to preach to you tonight about working with people who fail. Verse 8 of Philemon, if you will follow there with me. Paul writes and says, Therefore, I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting. Yet for love's sake, I rather appeal to you, 
being such a one as Paul the aged and now prisoner of Jesus Christ. I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, whom I have uh, begotten while in my chains, who once was unprofitable to you, but now is profitable to you and to me. I'm sending him back. You therefore receive him, that is, uh, my own heart, whom I wish to keep with me, that on your behalf he might minister to me in my chains for the gospel. But without your consent, I wanted to do nothing. That your good deed might, may not, be, might not be by compulsion, as it were, but voluntary. For perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose, that you might receive him forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If you then count me as a partner, receive him as you would me. But if he's wronged you or owes you anything, put that to my account. Here's a man, and in this man, it gives us a lesson this evening of working with people who fail. I want to talk to you for a few minutes first about the power of the gospel. I want you to know this evening that the gospel has power to transform human nature. Can you say amen? It's very common to practice in the church world some panacea that uh, is a cure-all for all things, some pop psychology uh, beyond a, a few uh, or behind a few cliches in Christian language. Uh, that's a cure-all, uh, and uh, supposedly we'll go forth and will cause people to change. One of the best sellers today is John Osteen. He's written a written a book that's a bestseller. Your best life now: seven steps to living at your best potential. This is a book that is uh, uh, the pap. I would like to play, uh, present it as that for the Christian world. And in this book, by the smiley preacher, I don't know how a man can preach a whole sermon and keep smiling the whole time he's preaching, but he does. <laughs> when he enters his congregation, he says something like, you, 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 you're beautiful people today. I, I'm, I'm reading this, and I, you know, are people so wounded uh, psychologically and so uh, uh, emotionally impaired that you have to come and say to them, you just, you're beautiful people today. Well, you're not beautiful people. Some of your ugly sin. It makes you feel good, perhaps, but does not do anything to change you. Pastor Camel sent me a couple of comics that I want to share with you. Uh, here's this fellow. He's, he's driving up to the window of the big church drive through Sunday service. And he says, I'll take two courses, three hymns, one prayer, and one sermon, but hold the conviction, please. This is a seeker-sensitive type of yuppie fellow. Another that he sent me, this is a Bible salesman. A man walks up to the counter and says, what I really need is a translation that won't leave me feeling guilty, convicted, or in need of making some kind of decision. 
Well, I've just described to you the church world. We know that there are some good churches that are preaching the gospel, but the more I live, the more insanity I'm seeing in the church world because it seems that they have forgotten the power of the gospel and it seems that they want to deliver it up diluted, not in full strength, to make it palatable to all kinds of people because apparently they do not believe that the gospel has power to transform any longer. And here in this text, uh, the theme that we have is transformation. We have a man. And uh, this man, as he's there, this man has stolen his master's goods. He has left his place. He has fled to Rome. And as he's there, he's had an encounter with the Apostle, with the apostle Paul. And Paul writes in verse 10 that this man has been begotten by the gospel. Now, this is a powerful word, and this word tells us that the gospel has power to transform. This man has been born again. This man has been converted to Jesus Christ, and it's through the preaching of the apostle Paul of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it turns a character from unprofitable to profitable. Listen to verse 11, formerly useless, but now useful to you and to me, one translator said. This is the greatest need in society today. We have a world that is filled with divorce on every hand. We have a world that is filled with immorality, child abuse. We have a world that is filled with drug abuse. We have a world that is filled with uncleanness of every kind. Gangs and homosexuality is an epidemic proportions and it has permeated our world and it has ruined our world. Our schools today are totally out of control. One man said our schools are zoos without cages. Or in other words, they cannot control, they cannot exercise control because they're not allowed to. And we live in a society that sin has totally ruined our society. But the Bible documents that the gospel of Jesus Christ has the power to change life. Can you say amen? It can transform human nature. One of the great testimonies of Scripture is a woman named Mary Magdalene. We have every reason to believe that she was a prostitute because when she came into Simon the Pharisee's house, everyone knew her reputation. They knew immediately what she was and they were astonished that the Lord Jesus Christ would even relate to her. And the Bible says that this woman was powerfully transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. She was begotten of God by the Holy Spirit, not by psychology, not by positive thinking, not by some pap that is delivered up, but through the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God confronted this woman and this woman was transformed. And in the Bible, we find that she is a frequent, uh, frequently mentioned character. She ministered to the Lord, the Bible says. And not only that, she was the first one that saw him after he was risen from the dead. And the Bible uh, carefully uh, relates that so that we can understand the power 
of the gospel. We just came from the tour of Israel. We had a, a guide on our bus. This man uh, has picked up all the language of, uh, of Christianity. And it was astonishing to watch because I've had many guides, never had one like him. He's praising the Lord. He's thanking the Lord. He's going through all this language. He's picked up the verbiage of Christianity. If you didn't know better, you'd think this man was a Christian, but he's a rabid Jew, does not believe in Jesus Christ. He has all the language, but he's not saved. He's like many people who are in our churches today. They've learned the language, they know the phrases, they know the cliches, the cliches uh, but they're not transformed, uh, but the gospel of Jesus Christ has the power to transform human nature. We have a man, the Bible says, whose name is Zacchaeus, and the Bible relates uh, that this man is a crooked uh, little tax collector. He's a wicked abuser of people. He exploits people, but he had an encounter with Jesus Christ. Thank God that we're not left uh, simply to uh, pour out some kind of positive cliches uh, and some little phrases of human personality. But Jesus Christ, uh, I can tell you, has the power to transform. He had an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. And in uh, Luke 19, verse 8, says, Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, 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 I give half of my goods to the poor, and if I've taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore for full. Thank God. Here is the indication of a man that has been transformed. How many of you know that one of the first marks of somebody that genuinely says they want to give everything away? How many of you know that? It's a, it's a, every one of us have been saved. Uh, most of us uh, were touched. And the first thing that comes, want to give somebody something. Before all you could think about was stealing somebody, something from somebody. Can you say amen? You might as well be honest. But when Jesus comes in, something happens. We sang that chorus, I've been changed. I've been reborn. All my life has been rearranged. And so here is the power of the gospel. And we have this man. And the Bible says that God touched this man who was a thief, a runaway slave, and he was begotten by the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ by the apostle Paul. Now this brings me to the relationship that furnishes us a wonderful perspective tonight that I want to underline. This is the fatherless generation. Either by default or by desertion, vast numbers of men today have never had a father that has been present, that has exercised, or sometimes not even in a home, and it's so prevalent uh, that books are being written to document uh, this phenomena that is very unusual in our age. I have a book, and uh, the name of that book is Fatherless Generation. The fatherless generation has produced uh, some uh, uh, aberrations in human personality uh, and uh, it is causing a major problem in our society. We were in Israel, we had the occasion with one of the London pastors, uh, England pastors, uh, Andrew Waring, and we were making sermons with, with him, and, and as we are making sermon, he mentioned that the uh, London subway bombers uh, last July 7 had killed, I think, some 52 people, caused chaos in London, that these uh, subway bombers... Uh, 
as well as Robert Reed, the shoe bomber that you may have read about, tried to ignite a shoe on an airplane and, and commit suicide and bring the airplane down. All of these had no father. Now I want to tell you that there's something that is powerful in having a father. And as we begin to examine that for a moment, uh, there's a phenomenal dimension that the apostle mentions here that I want to underline with you. And he says these words, uh, my son in the faith. Listen to 1 Timothy 1 and verse 2. To Timothy, a true son in the faith. Grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. Now here's the answer to a fatherless generation. There are men who are in this building tonight and you never had a father that was present in the home or perhaps uh, uh, you come out of a a, a single uh, uh, mother uh, uh, upraising. But I want to tell you that that's not your fault, uh, but here's the solution. I want you to listen carefully to me because here's the solution for a fatherless generation is a leader who fulfills a, a missing role. Timothy was fatherless. We know this from the scripture because he was raised by his mother uh, and his grandmother. And we know that. uh, And as we begin to look at that, uh, there's something that happened to this man. Because when Paul led him to Christ, uh, they furnished for him a dimension. uh, And that dimension became a powerful impact that began to shake this one young man's life. Because Paul became a father to this young man. He relates this powerfully. This is true concerning the runaway slave that we're talking about in the scripture that we have. And uh, the apostle Paul furnished a dimension for this man because he became his spiritual father. And that role that he began to fulfill was a powerful dimension that has tremendous ramifications See, there's a record here, and that record here of a spiritual father that is functioning. Listen to 1 Corinthians 4, 14 through 16. I do not write these things to shame you, but as my beloved children, I warn you. For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I've begotten you through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you, imitate me. Now think about that for a moment, because as the Apostle Paul is writing this, uh, he's writing concerning a role that he has fulfilled for them who he has won to Christ, and that role is a role as functioning as a spiritual father that has begun to do something in their life and furnish for them a reference point that is crucial for their eternal welfare and destiny. He says in other places in the scripture, my son in the faith, he has, you have not many fathers. And so Paul not only brought them into the family of God, but he furnished a personal dimension that would bring them to a spiritual uh, maturity. And he details this uh, for this runaway slave. Listen to this. He forced this man to uh, take responsibility for his action. 
This man has run away. He's stolen from his master. He's betrayed the trust that was given to him. He's fled to Rome. But as he comes there, he encounters Jesus Christ through the witness and the preaching of the apostle Paul. And as he does that, Paul now forces him to take responsibility for his action. He sends him back to face the music and submitting to the discipline, whatever that may be, and he leaves for him a lesson of doing right. How many of you know that this is one of the great lacks of this generation is for someone to take responsibility, someone to set a reference point, someone to enforce right from wrong. How many of you know there is a right and there is a wrong? You know, we sang that chorus, righteousness, righteousness, and we have men that are standing here. You have no intention of being righteous. Hey, what's up, podcast listeners? Pastor Adam back with you again. Just wanted to give you this report that uh, you have been doing a great job of sharing the news of this podcast and continuing to download uh, episodes on a daily basis. The show has been growing by leaps and bounds. There's more of you listening now than at any other time in the podcast history. So we just want to say thank you once again for tuning in and listening to these anointed sermons. We just want to ask you one thing real quick. If you could do us a favor and leave us a review, especially those of you on Apple devices, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, wherever you're listening, uh, we need some five-star reviews, and also uh, if you could leave a few notes in there about what you like best about this podcast would really, really help us. I'm sure that you know somebody who could use a daily podcast to get them through the day. Please make sure you share it with them. And uh, also, uh, we are trying to get our hands on sermons from all across our fellowship. If you've got some good ones to share with us, we'd encourage you to please contact us using the links in the show notes. We'd love to feature your sermons from your church as well. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy the rest of this sermon. But I want to tell you that the gospel of Jesus Christ, preached under the power of the Holy Spirit, will bring you face to face with the realities of what is right and what is wrong. And the gospel of Jesus Christ will make you face up to your responsibilities. Take responsibility for your own actions. How many of you know this is the victim generator? Ooh, look what you made me do. Haven't you ever done anything of your own volition? Don't you take responsibility for anything that you do, whether right or whether wrong? And here is a generation that if you correct them, they interpret this as rejection. But I want to tell you that a spiritual father will tell you what is right and tell you what is wrong, will make you face the responsibility for right and wrong and begin to minister to you and tell you that you have to take responsibility for your actions. That's what altar calls are all about. We're almost a unique generation. You can go to religious meetings all over the world. They never have an altar call. It's happy time. Be happy. Oh, be happy. Be blessed. You're wonderful. We love you. You're such a great people. 
and people are sitting there going straight to hell. Can you say amen? Yes. This is why we have altar calls in our churches. If you don't have an altar call in your church, then something's wrong with your church because people are constantly in need of direction. And Paul has furnished for this runaway slave a reference point. He's become a father to this man. As he's become a father, he calls him my son. I've begotten him and has become a father to him. He makes him face up to his responsibility, sends him back to Philemon, who he's ripped off and he's functioning as a father. And this is the core of discipleship as we're in this place tonight. Discipleship, in a nutshell, is a sincere desire to see another person fulfill their destiny in Jesus Christ and true fatherhood will give themselves to see that come to pass, whatever the cost, whatever the involvement, whatever the time that is necessary, whatever the presence that is necessary. And this is a generation that desperately needs that and a multitude of men who have come from fatherless homes desperately need someone that will be a father to them. Can you say amen? See, a father isn't someone who says, oh, isn't there something that I can give you to make you happy? A father says, shape up. Can you say amen? amen? You're doing wrong. And if you're doing wrong, here's going to be the consequences. I know Greg, when I was raising Greg, Greg uh, used to say to me, you know, do I have to be a preacher? He said, no, you don't have to be a preacher. Be a fireman, be a, a cook, be a... Uh, whatever you want, just stay out of prison. <laughs> but if you do wrong, that's where you're going to wind up. You're going to pay the consequences in life. Uh, and a father will be honest with you and will say to you, you're going to have to face a responsibility. We'll take this time and we'll furnish for you the care and concern that will make you face the issue. And so here is this man, and Paul says, my son, in the faith, and he makes him face the issue and sends him back to his master whom he's ripped off. I want to talk to you about the redemption that releases destiny. Very common that there's an attitude See, I said I'm going to preach about uh, working with people who fail. Now, I've talked about that for a moment, and this encompasses just about everybody that's in this building. The ones that it doesn't apply to, there'll be an altar call in a little while for <laughs> sinners. But one of the things that happens in failure is uh, that... There is this feeling that comes that when you fail, failure is permanent. And sadly, many times, those who work with people, they have the attitude, you hurt me once, shame on you. You hurt me twice, shame on me. Or in other words, you're not going to get a chance to fail me the second time. You're not going to get a chance to uh, hurt me the second time. And uh, this, is a, uh, this is true with individuals who pastor. This is true with leaders. And this is true with churches that one time, 
a failure. It's permanent. There's no hope. Uh, there's nothing else to be gained. Uh, but you see, the, the epistle that we're reading tonight is written because of a man who failed. And that epistle is written with the profound understanding of the redeeming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And sadly, there are many people that are exactly like the elder brother. You know, the elder brother, the prodigal son goes out. He wastes the, uh, the inheritance with righteous living. He winds up, uh, uh, he's been in whorehouses. He winds up, uh, he's wasted all his inheritance. He's sitting in a pig pen. He uh, finally says, this is stupid. You know, it's a wonderful thing when you're in sin, when you finally come and say, this is stupid. I'll go back to my father's house. I'll say to my father, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no more worthy to be called your uh, son and I'm willing to be your servant. And his father uh, throws uh, his arms around him, puts a robe upon him, puts a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet and calls his servant and says, kill the fatted cat. We're celebrating because your son once was dead, but now he's alive. And uh, this is a wonderful day, but the elder brother, doesn't like this. And his attitude is he's embarrassed our family and I'll not come and celebrate. This is a strange twist of human personality. They tell me that poultry have a strange little twist that should one chicken or uh, part of the poultry develop a, a sore on their head that the rest of the chickens will gather around and peck that chicken to death. Now, that's an odd twist, is it not? But I want to tell you that that little twist is often in human nature. Fail me once, shame on you. Fail me twice, shame on me. But here is a story, and that story is a story of working with people who fail. And this brings us the glorious Message that redemption is a cure to failure. Look at the name of this man. Onesimus, it's in the name. Because that name literally means useful. That's what the name means. So think about this for a moment. Here's the devil, and the devil has entered into this man's life. Uh, he's finally brought this man to a place uh, where this man is at the point of destroying the destiny that he has because his destiny is useful. And in the, in the Bible, many times people are named the name that is their destiny. It's over and over in the scripture. And the devil intends to destroy this man. This is his aim. But he comes into contact with the wonderful gospel of Jesus Christ, the glorious redeeming love of Christ. And Paul ministers to him and God touches him, and there's a lesson left for you and I in that. Failure is never permanent. The only time that failure is permanent is when those who fail grovel in that and allow the devil to lie to them and say to them, this is your fate. There's no hope for you. You have failed. There's never any future for you. And that's a lie from the pit of hell. Can you say amen? 
Jeremiah 29 and verse 11, for I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. They're plans for good and not for evil to give you a future and give you a hope. Listen to this quote by Theodore Roosevelt. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbled or where the doer of deeds could have done better. The credit belongs to the man who's actually in the arena, whose face is marred by the dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs and comes short again and again, who knows the great enthusiasms, the great devotions, and spins himself in a worthy course, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls uh, who know neither victory nor defeat. See, here's a testimony of redemption. Listen to these words uh, in Philemon, verses 11. Who once was unprofitable to you and now is profitable to you and to me. That translation, several translations actually translated, it says once was useless uh, to you, but now is useful to you and useful to me. Verse 14, but without your consent, I wanted to do nothing that your good deed might not be compul- in, by compulsion, but as it were, uh, but voluntary. For perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose, that you might receive him forever. What a tremendous story tonight and a hope for humanity. I want to tell you that there are men sitting in this building tonight and you've allowed failure to become a reference point for the rest of your life. You see, the Bible says, let no man say when he is tempted, I'm tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted of evil, neither does he tempt any man. But every man is tempted when he's led aside of his own lust and, uh, uh, and tempted and trapped, actually, is the word is used. Then when lust is conceived, it brings forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. Now, this is a process that the devil uses, but his master stroke is once a person has failed, he says to them, you'll never, ever again, ever be able to be profitable for the kingdom of God. You've disgraced the family of God. You've disgraced your pastor. You've disgraced the, 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 the church of Jesus Christ. You can never again be useful. You can never again be profitable And that's a lie from the pit of hell. And when that happens, a man has fallen under the spell of sin and the devil has captivated and won the battle. Peter is one of the great hopes for all of us. You know the story. Here's this man, Peter. He denies the Lord three times. He has an opportunity to testify. It's in a crucial moment of life. And he denies the Lord three times. And then the next thing we know, we find him back fishing. Isn't it an interesting thing that there's a tendency to go back uh, to, uh, in a failure to the old life uh, and go back to the former pursuits? Isn't this true? This is the tendency. 
But as he's there uh, on the sea, uh, suddenly Jesus comes on the shore and uh, speaks to them, uh, brings them through. He's got uh, fish, bread and fish on the fire. And as they're there partaking of this, uh, then Jesus begins to deal with one individual of that group. Uh, and that individual, uh, that individual is Peter. Peter, do you love me? Yeah, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Oh, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Then feed my lambs. Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know that I love you. Then feed my sheep or shepherd my sheep. Here's one of the great demonstrations of the glory of God who is able to take a failure and restore that failure to ministry and to productivity. Peter, do you love me? Yes, three times. Uh, you cannot miss that. The agony, the tension, of uh, the, uh, uh, the understanding uh, that is between the Lord Jesus because the Bible says after Peter did this, uh, Jesus turned and looked at him and he wept bitterly, a total failure. He goes back to the old life, uh, but thank God uh, Jesus Christ does not leave us where we are. Can you say amen? But can encounter it. Thank God for that. Can you say amen? Does not leave us where we are. Jacob is one of the great cautions that we have here. You know the story. Jacob is mama's boy. He goes up to Haran and he's with Uncle Laban. He's up there 21 years and... God calls him back, says, Jacob, come back uh, uh, to the, uh, the place of your inheritance. Jacob is on his way back, and God encounters him uh, at the brook Jabbok, uh, and he's there with that great uh, uh, drama of wrestling with the Lord. You see, what that drama was all about uh, is God is saying to him, Jacob, you can't have your destiny with a character like you had. What is your name? What is your name? Jacob wrestles with the angel of the Lord and as he wrestles with him, the Lord's bringing him to grips with what he is. He is a slimy little creature. I mean, you might as well admit it. This is what he is. That's his name. He's a, he's grabber. He's a, he's deceiver. And that all that wrestling at the at the brook Jabon was to bring Jacob to grips with himself, make him face and make him own up to his name. What is your name? I want you to face your character. And what is your name, Jacob, or deceiver? And out of that encounter, God brings him a change of name. You no longer are going to be called deceiver or heel grabber, you're now going to be called uh, Israel because you've prevailed. You've can, you have come to grips with what you are. You have faced up to who you are and your name no longer is going to be uh, Jacob. It's going to be Israel for you prevailed and you have power with God and with man. Now there's a caution here because this man is transformed from that moment. And that caution is uh, that God gives him a limp uh, for the rest of his life uh, to remind him uh, what he was. Now let me bring you to a conclusion for a moment. Because God redeems, he 
is able to work with failures, the message to you as pastors is that unless you're able to work with failures, you will never build a church because God's not going to bring you anything but failures. Isn't that interesting? You know, the church world, they, they revel in. Oh, we have a lawyer, a lawyer and attorneys attending our church. Well, we've got this prominent, this wealthy man, this, uh, uh, that's not what the gospel's all about. The gospel is about reaching into the dregs uh, of society, uh, failures, uh, and redeeming them and lifting them up to productivity in life. And the conclusion that we need to understand is that there's a reference mark here. God redeems, but he leaves his mark upon that. And it brings us to the understanding that we need to avoid failures at any cost. Can you say amen? And don't go and say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to fail. You know, there's a lot of people, they, they, uh, they want to live like the devil on Saturday night and come to church on Sunday and answer the altar call and think everything's going to be all right. I want, to know, want you to know that failure leaves its mark. God redeems. God restores. God causes, uh, calls, uh, uh, causes productivity, but it leaves its mark. Never forget that. Uh, and to all who are called to work with difficult people, I want to tell you that God will work a miracle uh, to his glory. See, there are people here tonight that God has redeemed. There are people here in this service tonight that has been redeemed. In our church, we have many people in our church that have suffered horrible failures, but God has restored them to productivity and has restored them to ministry, has restored them in the body of Christ, has restored them to useful members of the church because we were able to work with them And if you're going to build a church, you're going to have to work with people who fail. If you're going to survive in the Christian life, you're going to have to understand that failure is not permanent, but there's a future and a hope. He that has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. See, my congregation is full of people who have failed. But having failed, God by his grace has reached down into their heart and restored them to usefulness because failure is not the the defining factor of their life. The reason it is not because they've been given hope, they've been given dignity, they've been given restoration, they've been given redemption and cleansing by the precious blood of Jesus Christ and God has worked in their life to, to restore them to productivity and unless you're able to accept that, you will never survive in the kingdom of God. Here's a slave. Let's look at him again. This man has ripped off his master. He has betrayed his master. He has fled to Rome. But as he's fled there, Paul encounters him with the love of God in Jesus Christ. And this man is begotten. He said, he's begotten by my gospel. And as he's begotten, he has faced what he is. And as he's faced what he is, he's allowed God to change him. And he goes back to face the music with his master, face up to his sin, admit his responsibilities. And the apostle Paul uses him as a trophy 
of the grace of God in Christ. Working with people who fail is the call of the church. Working with people who fail is the call of every believer that is sitting here tonight, every man who's here. Working with people who fail is the glory that you and I have in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want every head bowed. I want every eye. We thank you again for listening. Do you want to receive updates from our church in your inbox? Make sure to sign up at our website, vvph.org. If this message has been a blessing to you, would you consider supporting our ministry with a generous donation? Please visit our website at vvph.org and scroll down to find the Give button at the bottom of the page. We would be so grateful for your support. Until next time, love God and love people.